This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast. Visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. Now going to discuss the topic of Chazal and science. Where did Chazal know their science from? Was it from the Torah? Was it from their contemporary scientists? And what happens? What do you do when it seems that Chazal and Chazal science and the science of their times are in conflict? Who's right? How do we work all this out? So let's start, first of all, with framing the issue. Why is this an issue? Why is this important to talk about? Why is this so significant? So first of all, let's lay the groundwork for this idea, because there's a lot of different ideas about here, and we have to go one by one. In my personal opinion, I don't think there's any problem to say, with one qualifier, that it's in a vacuum. There's no problem to say that Chazal did not know the science of their time. Meaning to say, unless I have something explicit, let's assume I don't have something explicit right now, and I'm just asking about, do did Chazal know everything about about every aspect of the creation. So again, in a vacuum, it doesn't, I don't think it's such a problem to say Chazal didn't know, the, meaning they didn't know the science of the time, but let's say they only knew the science of the time, or I guess more accurately, they knew the science of their time based on their contemporary scientists. So again, in a vacuum, I don't think that has to be a problem. Because even if we are to understand, let's say, that they had Ruach HaKodesh, and that's for sure true, they had an aspect of Ruach HaKodesh. However, Alam Mepharshim explain it, but they had, certainly had that aspect, that's for sure. And even if we were to understand that all the sciences of the world are included in the Torah, which we're going to see explicitly is true, but that still doesn't necessarily mean that they knew the science from Torah. They didn't know everything in, in Halachas. They sometimes had questions, sometimes things they didn't know. And we know how the Amorim and the Tanaim speak about how they knew much less than their previous generation. Sarah Yochum and Zakai talks about it. So there's no necessity to believe, certainly based on Ruach HaKodesh, or based on just their knowledge of Torah, per se, in, again, in a vacuum, this is the qualifier, that they knew all the science, that they knew everything there is to know about the world, including science of the world. It doesn't have to be they knew everything. Just like nobody assumes now that every member of Chazal learned everything there is to know in Torah, like we just explained. So the same thing in science. Ruach HaKodesh doesn't necessarily mean that they knew everything. I don't know how Ruach HaKodesh works. I don't know Hilchus Ruach HaKodesh. I don't know where it applies, where it doesn't apply. But I don't think there's a reason to assume that if the person has Ruach HaKodesh, he knows everything about everything. Nowadays, not every Gadol knows everything about even the science of our time. When Gedolim have questions, they go to scientists, they go to doctors. That's that's obvious. If they want to know the Mitzias, the reality on the ground, in order to Paskin based on that, they go to doctors. They didn't learn the science, and apparently they didn't know the science from Torah, and that's not a problem at all. And yes, Chazal were much greater, and the understanding of Torah was much deeper. But again, who says that it has to be? Who says their knowledge of Torah gave them this, the, the knowledge of science from the Torah, and who says the knowledge of, Ruch, of, of knowledge with Ruach HaKodesh, with that Tziat Rishmaya, that that also yielded a knowledge of science. I don't think in a vacuum there has to be an assumption about what Chazal knew or didn't know. If they learned science from contemporaries, and so be it. Like we said, Gedolim nowadays do that. If Chazal were coming to Paskin on a question, and they had to ask the scientists of their days, so they would. I don't think that that necessarily has to be a problem. So for someone to come along and say, just out of nowhere, that Chazal had to know the science, that I don't think is true. I don't think there's anything in the Ikare Munar, anything per se, we'll see, again, this is a qualifier before you go to the Sugya, but in the Ikare Munar doesn't have to be anything about Chazal knowing the science. We will see the issue is going to be if the Torah says they do, which we're going to get to in one moment. But just again, in a vacuum, there doesn't have to be any problem with assuming that Chazal knew the science of their time through the scientists of their time, and therefore their scientific knowledge would be as limited as the scientific knowledge of the scientists of their time. So that is all in a vacuum, and like I said, with a big qualifier. What is that qualifier? Well, the qualifier is as, is as follows. Let's say, in theory, which you haven't learned the sugi yet, but let's say in the sugi it comes out that Chazal do say, number one, that the Torah includes all the science, and number two, that they get their science from the Torah. 
So again, if in theory their, their science was wrong, that wouldn't be a problem. The problem would be if they claim they get their science from the Torah. So first of all, two things. Number one, that the Torah includes all of science. Number two, that they claim that they get their science from the Torah and they extract a scientific fact from the Torah, and then it's proven wrong. That would be a problem. Why is that a problem? Because it really leaves us with three options. Option number one is that the Torah is wrong about the science, and this means the Torah is wrong, which I think at this point we should assume that that's not possible. Option number two is that Chazal misunderstood the psukim, which would mean that they are flawed and their method of learning psukim is flawed. If they use psukim to extract a scientific fact and the fact turns out that it's not true, then that means that they would be wrong about understanding Torah, understanding the psukim. And if that's true, then I don't see why a person would make a distinction between psukim of halacha and psukim of science. They're both the same psukim. If they can wrong, if they can be wrong, they can be wrong. If there's no guarantee about how they learn psukim relative to scientific fact, then why should there be a guarantee of it, how it comes out relative to halachic fact? That certainly would be an issue. Again, number one, that if either the Torah is wrong about science, number two, that Chazal misunderstood the psukim. And again, this means Chazal will be wrong about the learning of the method or the learning of psukim. Or number three, they didn't really get the science from the Torah. They just only told us they did. And that would mean that they're just simply untrustworthy. And I don't think that's even something that we should even entertain. Even number two, I don't think it's something to entertain. But let's, again, the problem would be one of three things. Either the Torah is wrong about science, or Chazal misunderstood the Psukim, or they didn't really get the science from the Torah. They claim that they did, but they didn't. Now, all those things, three things are extremely problematic. Again, the Torah can't be wrong about science. It's the Dvar Hashem. Chazal misunderstand the Psukim, then you should have the same problem with why weren't they wrong about the Psukim in any other area, like Halacha, Hashkafa, anything. All the Joshua of Chazal should be up, up for question if you could prove that they are wrong. And number three is that they're just not trustworthy, they're t- not telling us the truth, that obviously the whole religion would fall apart if that's the case. If they're simply liars, untrustworthy, then the entire religion would crumble. But that's not a reason, that's not a disproof, that's just pointing out that there is a lot at stake if this were to be true, again, if it were to be true that the Torah, the Chazals tell us that the Torah, or the Rishonim tell us that all sciences are included in Torah, sciences, philosophy, all the same thing, are included in Torah, and Chazal extract scientific fact from the Torah, and that scientific fact is not true, that's a problem. If Chazal don't extract the scientific fact from the Torah, and that science is wrong, then there's no problem with that. Again, they could have got it from the science of the time, or wherever they got it from. The only problem is if they get it from Torah, and it comes out that it's wrong, then you have a big problem. So really, we have to look in the sugya, really. You have to understand, do Chazal say, does the Rishonim say that the Torah includes all science, number one? And number two, where did Chazal get their science from? And if it's from the Torah, then we would have to, we would have to try and find a, an answer, a yeshuv, to any problems that are presented in their science. Because if you present a problem with science based on contemporary time, that means, again, either the Torah is wrong, or Chazal misunderstood the psukim, which is a big problem, or Chazal didn't really get the science from the Torah, they just claimed that they did, or they told us they did, which is obviously a big problem. Okay, so that's really what's at stake in this discussion. Again, nothing really has to be at stake. If it's simply Chazal didn't get the science from the Tukim or from the Torah, then fine. Then, and if they're wrong, they're wrong. No problem. But if it's not true, then there's a lot at stake. Now, let's get some misconceptions out of the way over here. Nobody in this discussion, well, I can't speak nobody. We're not claiming now in this discussion that Chazal were infallible or they can never, ever, ever make mistakes or perfect human beings, whatever it is. That's not the issue. Obviously, as people, everybody can make mistakes. Moshe Rabbeinu made mistakes. Yaakov Vino made mistakes. David Amalek made mistakes. Chazal are no greater than Moshe Rabbeinu or Yaakov Vino or David Amalek. So if that's the case, yes, Chazal can also make mistakes. That's not the issue. So to bring a proof from the parsha of where the Sanhedrin make a mistake, Parhelm Davashot Sibur, or whatever else it is, where the Sanhedrin make a mistake, Masech Tehorios, that's not relevant in the slightest, because we know that individuals can make mistakes. So that has nothing to do, no bearing on the conversation at all. So let's leave that aside. Let's get that it's very clear. The individuals can make mistakes. That's fine. There's no problem with that. Not every, not every person is perfect. In fact, nobody is perfect. So that's for sure true. Moshe Bain, the Gras says Moshe Bain made a mistake when he was understanding Benegar Meruven and Elia Cohen made a mistake when he was understanding the, the Urim Vetum and Baichana. Many, many great people have made mistakes over the years. Again, that's nothing to do with the conversation. Chazal are no better than Moshe Rabbeinu, no better than Elia Cohen. They all make mistakes as individuals. That's fine. 
So let's get that out of the way. Nobody's saying that the Ruach HaKodesh allows them to know everything. Again, the Gra says by Elia Cohen that even though in general, to learn, to understand the Urmatum, you need Ruach HaKodesh, but Eli made a mistake. Moshe Benu had greater Ruach HaKodesh than anybody else, but the Gra says he made a mistake in understanding, like I said, Negar Beruven. So again, for the last time, that is not the issue at all. Nobody should claim that. Nobody should say that we claim that. That's not the issue. The issue is a very simple issue, which is as follows. Hashem gave us the Torah. The Torah does not make mistakes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not make mistakes. Torah is Hashem Tamima. It's perfect. That's very easy for any believer to accept. No problem. The question is, as we explained already, was the science of the world included in the Torah? And if yes, the question too, when Chazal made scientific statements, is their source the Torah or not? And if yes, if the answer is both is yes on both those questions, then we have to say as follows. Since the body of wisdom is the Torah, that would mean that it's flawless. And if science that Chazal get comes out of the Torah, then either again, we have to say Chazal made a mistake, or that there's some other way to explain how the science and the Torah are both correct. Those are the issues at play. So there's nothing to do with infallibility of Chazal or rabbis, anything like this. It's the infallibility certainly of the body of wisdom of Torah, which is not very difficult to accept at all, considering it comes from the Bore Olam. So we're not saying Chazal were infallible, we're simply saying that the Torah is infallible. And then the next step is that Chazal's interpretations are more or less infallible, more or less. Enough that we could have full confidence in it, let's put it that way, for whatever reason, which we'll touch on in a moment. So the point comes out again, if the Torah's wisdom it includes the science in it, then it's certainly that wisdom is infallible. And if Chazal could extract it from there, then that means, yes, that wisdom is perfect. Not We're not talking about the individuals at all. So coming, it comes out of this, if Chazal claimed to have gotten their science from the Torah, it would, it would mean in, perforce that science of the world is in the Torah, and the Chazal are extracting that information from the Torah. And again, unless we're to, we're to assume that Chazal and the Torah are wrong, we have to reconcile the Torah with science. Like we know the Torah can't be wrong, and we understand that Chazal don't make mistakes interpreting Sukkim. That we're going to take for as a, as a given. Not proving that for now, but we're going to take that as a given for now. Either it's because of their greatness, that it's stupid to assume it, like we discussed already, or because there's an element of Hashkacha, Hashkacha, when, when Chazal, Darshim, Psukim, there's an element that Akash Baruch Hu is maskim to what they're saying, or he may, he won't make sure, he'll make sure they don't make mistakes. This is ideas found many, many places as well. Or, because, like many say, including Darmchal and others, that the halachas already of the Torah were already known to Chazal independently of all the drushes they made. And the drushes are only making in the Psukim, meaning everything was already accepted as a Kabbalah. And the drushes are only coming to strengthen that, verify that, or find it in the Torah, however exactly you want to express it. But they knew everything already from Kabbalah. So for whatever those reasons, they won't be wrong. We're not going to assume that Chazal are wrong. And therefore, if again, they claim that they have a science, scientific matter coming from Torah, then they have to be correct in this sense. And we have to reconcile Chazal, what they say, with what scientists says. As an aside, even if they were wrong for whatever reason, and again, this I'm talking about without, I mean, let's even assume they were wrong with their drushas, it still be, it would still very well could be we would have to follow them. The, um, Ramban says in Chumash, in Sefer Dvarim, Perak Yudzain, Pasuk Yudches, he talks about over there, that a Baruch Hu, the, the idea of yamin small or small yamin, and you can see what he says over there, and there still could be a reason for us to follow them. The Sefer Chinuch and Mitzvah Taf Tzadi Vav also says the same same type of thing, that even if they were to be wrong, now, is he, t- he talking about the Bez and the Gadol, but seemingly seemingly would apply to Chazal as well. Even if they were to be wrong, it still would be beneficial to follow them, the Ran and the Joshua, same, same, same idea. That's just an aside, that even if they were wrong, we would still have to follow them. But we're going to leave that point for now. So, what we have to figure out is really, again, number one, does the Torah contain all science? And number two, where did Chazal get their scientific knowledge from? And if those two questions are, the, the Torah, if the answer to the questions are, the Torah does create, contain all science and Chazal get their scientific knowledge from Torah, then we would have to, we would have a job reconciling Chazal with the science if we could find a, con, a seeming conflict. So let's start with point number one. Point number one is, does the Torah contain all of science? So this is pretty clear in many, many places. I'm only going to, reference and read some of them, but for many, many places, it do, it is pretty clear that Chazal do believe, or they are telling us, that the Torah contains all of science. Let's bring two places from Chazal themselves. One of them is a Medrash Tehillim in Perikiotes. The Medrash says as well, it's based on a Gemara, but it's it's a Medrash. Amar Shmuel 
Bar Abba Yada Ana Bishvili Drakia Kishvili Drahada. The Medrash says, Shmuel Bar Abba says, I know the pathways of heaven like the pathways of Naharda in the city that I'm from. Says the Medrash, Vichi Shmuel Allah Drakia. Did Shmuel go up to Shemaim, the sky? How did he know all these things? So here are the words of the Medrash and listen carefully. Ella, rather, the way he knew it is, through the fact that he, he was toiling, he toiled through the Chachma of the Torah. He learned from it what there is in Bashachakim in Shemaim. So that's again very, very clear. Same type of thing the Medrash goes on. Same thing, Mechira Moshaya, Allah Rakia, Ella Aidesha Yiga, Bechachmasa Shaltara, Laman Vitoka Komash Yesh Barakia. Through the fact that he learned from the Chachma of the Torah, he learned everything that what there was in the Rakia. And that is one place where it's explicit in Chazal themselves that they understand that the, all the, that, sorry, now this doesn't say all the science of the Torah, all the science in the Torah, but certainly science is contained in the Torah. This actually helps us for point number two as well, but we'll get ba- we'll get back to this in another time. There's another medrash in Breshis Rabbah. Now this is a Gemara based on this is also Gemara in Becharos and Davches Amad Aleph. Now let's read a little bit from this medrash because it's it's important to read a little bit. There's a philosopher wanted to know how much it takes for a nachash to give birth, a snake to give birth. He put them in a chavis, in a barrel. He gave them food until they gave birth. The Zikanim went up to Rome, to Rome, and they asked Rome Gamliel, and they asked him, Lakama Anachash Molid. They asked these, sounds like these Zikanim of, uh, philosophers asked Rome Gamliel, how much is it, how long does it take for Anachash to give birth? He couldn't answer them. And he got very upset. And he went to Rabbi Shua, he met Rabbi Shua, and Rabbi Shua saw that he was very sad. So Rishu asked him, why, why are you sad? So he said, He said, they asked me a question, which by the way has nothing to do with halacha, but they asked him a question and he couldn't answer it. Rabbi Shua says, what's his question? And Rabbi Gamil responded, How much is a nachash, how much time did it take to give birth? Rabbi Shua says, Seven years. And Rabbi Gamil says, how do you know this? He says, He says, he says a, a, a dog, which is a chayatme, it's an impure animal. It gives birth for 52 days, takes 52 days. And a behemotmea, another type of animal, tmea, is, uh, gives birth for not 12 months. And says by the nachasha, you're more cursed from the kola behema. So just like a behema is more cursed than a chayat times seven, seven times over. So too, a nachash is more cursed than a behemoth seven times over, and that means it takes him seven years. So then he went back, it looks like Rabbi Gamliel went back to the philosopher, and it says like this, it says, He started banging his head on the wall. Everything that I worked hard for, basically everything I worked for seven years, this person, i.e. Rabbi Yeshua, um, he did it in one moment. Okay, so that is... Adkan is the Medrash, that's, that's the end of the Medrash, it's a little bit more detailed than the Gemara, which is why I quoted from the Medrash. So you see a bunch of things in this Medrash. The first thing we want to show in this Medrash, we're going to come back to this Medrash, but the first thing we want to show is that clearly you could, by extra, the, the Torah includes the Chachma, the science. Basically, it, inc- it includes science of the world. It doesn't say all science, but certainly types of science. Why make a distinction? I'm not sure, but we're going to see even clearer in a moment that it cont- does contain all science of the world. Says the Ramban in his introduction, it's Kedai for everybody to, to see it inside. I'm just going to read one, two lines. Hashem gave him Chachma and Mada, ideas probably. Everything's from the Torah. He learned from there till all the happenings of the world. Even the idea, the, the forces of grass and all the grass, everything. And he wrote many, many days, uh, Sfarim of Rufus. Like it says, you see, the mazalos as well, as well was included. So he, he spoke to the trees, means he understood the trees and the mazalos. Everything, all all aspects of the world is what he's describing over here. How the stars were, even psychology was there. 
the, the trees, the roots. Kol davar mechusa v'chol davar migula yedati. This is what Shlomo Melech writes. Kol zeh, says Ramban, yada betoira. Fa'akol matzaba b'feyusheah, b'diktukea, b'osiyaseah, u'vikutseah. Says Ramban, explicit, black and white, that Shlomo Melech understood everything through the Torah. Understood everything of Chachmav science through Torah. So it's very explicit in the Ramban that at least point number one, which is that all the Chachmas are included in the Torah. He continues this as well later on. Tchilas inyan b'riya shamayim and v'chol tzivam, everything there, all the kochos, everything, v'chol animsar l'moyshe ha'kol nichta b'tar b'feyosh o b'remiza o b'tevos o b'gematrios b'tzuros osios, everything is there. And again, you can look over there in greater detail, the Ramban al-Chomish, it's in his introduction. That's one place as well. He says the same thing in Torah Hashem Tamima, where he brings the, really the Gemara that we just said by Rabbi Shua, brings it from the Semedrish really from Rabbi Shua, the self davar kit, but Torah nirmaz hachacham kol inyan hatavayim, right? Explicit. In the Torah, it's nirmaz, it's, it's hinted to the hachamim, kol inyan hatavayim, all the ideas of science, tavayim, it's nature, umikabal satara, lamat shlama, and from, and shlama melech learned it from the Torah. So again, it's very, very clear from the Ramban that all the chach, all the chachma was written in the Torah, everything. And this is true from Rabbeinu Bechai, he writes the same thing in his intro to Chumash, karakemach, he writes this as well. The Rosh and Adarim, Allah and Chesim and Aleph seems to say the same thing. The Kuzari, Rabbein Yona, all these many, many Mepharshim. Again, if you, there, there are many more Marmakos, not going to go through all of them now, but there are certainly, it's pretty well established, I believe, that the Rishonim do say that all the Chachmas are written in the Torah somehow, some way. The Gra writes it as well. Many, many Achorim write it as well. We're not going to go through all of them. I've got very few of them, in fact, but I'm going to quote some of them. But very, very much not a lot of them. And, but I think it's a very easily established fact that all the sciences of the world, all the chachmas of the world are included in Torah. The Sadiqa and the Rambam says all this about Shalom Melech, same idea. Okay. So now based on all this, all it would take for Chazal to understand the science of the world or the philosophy or psychology, whatever it is, would simply be to understand the Psukim. But it was actually really more than this because it's pretty clear from the Ramban and others themselves that there were individuals who possessed all of this wisdom, who actually possessed all of this wisdom. I mean, we could theorize, okay, just because it's written in the Torah doesn't mean Al-Chazal knew all of it, and that's certainly true. But there certainly were people who knew all of it. Moshe Beinu and Shlomo Melech are specifically mentioned as these people who knew all these Chachmas from Torah. Again, the Ramban writes this explicitly, and there are many others who write this as well. And the, the Chassid Yaivis writes this in the Sefer Archaim Paragimel, same type of thing, which is that essentially all you really needed once you know that there are certain individuals who knew these, then all you really needed was for them to pass it down. So I'm just going to quote from the Chassid Yavitz. But what he's saying is very, very obvious, is that once you know Shlomo Melech and Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, the Ramban writes that Shlomo Melech wrote down a Sefer. So that means there were people who had access, were privy to this information. Moshe Rabbeinu had it all. Did he not pass it down? He just kept this part for himself. Shlomo Melech had it. That means it was passed down like the rest of Tarsha Peh. And if we assume the rest of Tarsha Peh has passed down properly and faithfully, then I don't see why this would be any different. But again, the Chassid Yavitz says this as follows. He says, Listen to the Emes about to say, They knew all the Chachmas that they needed for Torah. They were Bikim in uh, all the languages and Bikishuf. They, they didn't spend their days doing this. They used to Mekabel, the truth of this matter, from the Chacham. Who accepted it, who, who received it, excuse me, from the Navim. Who got it from where? The Borea Oilam. It's not like the Chachme Umos who spent all their days trying to, with this investigation, trying to understand it. They received these matters from Navim without any effort at all. And again, it's very simple. And he ends, and he ends up, he ends up, it's a very simple idea because if the Rebbe Hashem knows it, which he does, and he gave it to Moshe Rabbeinu, and so Moshe Rabbeinu knew it, and Shlom HaMelech are people specified who knew it, but there's no reason to assume that they simply didn't pass it down. That means that Chazal basically could have gotten this knowledge either from their understanding of the Psukim, their drushas, which is how they get their all the knowledge from Halachas, and we have no problem, no reason to doubt that, as we don't, we don't have any reason to say they're wrong over there, and they also could have got it simply from 
passing it down, which is again how others like the Ramchal explain how they got anyways their knowledge from about halachas. It was passed down as a Kabbalah and they also had the Joshua's from the Psukim. What Machlokis, those details we're not getting into, but certainly they had the general knowledge. So it would be the same thing over here. So we, we just basically, again, if we were about to, if we were going to believe Chazal, which is a wise thing. So based on all these sources, Chazal and Rishonim, we say we could conclude two things. Number one, all the science of the world is included in Torah. And therefore, all it would take for Chazal to know science would be to learn the Torah properly. It's the same skill they use for understanding the halacha would apply to their understanding of science. Just like they're able to extract halachic information, rashkafa, whatever it is, so too they'd be able to extract science from Torah. Science, and when I say science, I mean again, philosophy, psychology, all all the wisdoms of the world. That's the first thing. And number two, there were individuals who possessed all this wisdom. If they would simply hand it down to others, then very simply, they would have all this knowledge. Thus, Chazal could easily have had all the knowledge from a Masurah, just like the rest of the Torah. Now, so that means that it's highly likely that Chazal got their scientific knowledge from Torah, either directly through some, or, or through some Masurah, from someone who got the Torah. One way or another, it's highly likely that's where they got their scientific knowledge. Now, just as an aside, does this mean that they knew everything about everything? No, not necessarily. So if there are certain scenarios where they say they don't know it, then okay, that means that they didn't have the Kabbalah or they didn't get it from the Psukim, which is fine. But from the t- places where they did know it, those things have to be correct. Again, either you assume, because either you assume that the Torah is wrong or the Kabbalah is wrong or their understanding of Psukim is wrong or they're just liars. And all those things are not possible. So fine, now we want to really establish where did Chazal get their scientific knowledge from? Because we know it, it's in the Torah. We know there were certain people who had it, but where did Chazal exactly, where did they get it from? Is there any proofs to that? So the truth is really, we already explained, already quoted two places where Chazal themselves say that they got the knowledge from the Torah itself. We, the, it's explicit, like we said in the Gemara B'Charos, but it's in that Medrash, in Breshis Rabbah, and it's in Chaf Dalad and Breshis Rabbah, Chaf and Dalad. And they say explicitly over there that they looked in the Torah and they got and they extracted scientific knowledge from it. The Ramban himself also uses that as a proof, that Medrash or that Gemara, that Chazal knew from the Torah, they got from the Torah their scientific knowledge. Just one point about that Medrash that we quoted from, which is the same Gemara Bukharos, the, the Medrash talks about how, again, you could prove three things. Well, first of all, you could prove from there that the science of the world is in the Torah. Second of all, you could prove from there that Chazal were able to extract scientific knowledge from there. The other thing we want to just add one point over here, which is that the the story was brought that the philosopher tried it, he experimented it, and he got to the same conclusion as Rabbi Yeshua. So he experimented it, he actually did a proper, we'll call it scientific experiment, and he got to the same conclusion. And this is a fairly easy, seemingly fairly easy thing. It's not like you need the scientific method of 2023 to get to do this. He just saw how long it took to, to give birth, whatever exactly he was talking about. But clearly the science itself was actually correct because the philosopher, again, if we're going to trust Chazal, the Chazal are quoting that the philosopher got the same conclusion as Rabbi Yeshua got to. So clearly that was correct. Now, even if we can duplicate this, even if we have snakes that don't give birth every seven years, that's irrelevant. Because again, Chazal are telling me that at that time, it worked. So whether the conditions have changed because of the timing, or because of whatever else you're going to say, we don't know what type of snake it is, the weather, whatever conditions, circumstance you want to say, in the end, that's changed now. And nowadays, our snake's not like that. In the end of the day, if you were to believe the words of Chazal, which I think is a wise thing to do, then they do say themselves in that measure that the science was correct. That means they themselves believe that the science was correct, and it was verified to be correct. So that means, again, that, again, the Torah is includes the wisdom of, of science. Chazal can extract from Torah the wisdom, and they were correct in that scenario. Even if we can't duplicate it, in that scenario, we can we can say for sure, and certainly Chazal themselves felt that they were correct. Now, this doesn't always mean, necessarily mean that in all areas of science, just because we're proving in terms of this particular example of the snake, or by the other magician to him that they knew the Rakia, that certain members of Chazal knew the Rakia, that doesn't necessarily mean that in all areas and all questions they can answer this way. You do see also that Ramah Gamliel was not able to answer initially. You do see all that, all that measure. Ramah Gamliel, who was also a member of Chazal, one of the greatest members of Chazal, was not able to answer the question. That means he didn't have that knowledge right away. So there's no problem to say that Chazal didn't know all the time all the answers. That's fine. Just like in Torah and Halacha, they're not able to know all the answers all the time. So too in this. But we do see again that it was included and sometimes you were able to get it. And that's 
in theory, important enough, because then the question is, well, whenever they make a scientific statement, if they don't tell me anything otherwise, what do I have to assume? Do I have to assume that it was from the scientific knowledge, or should I assume that it's from Torah? So obviously, each individual case is different. Whenever you have a case of where Chazal make a scientific knowledge, you have to learn that case. What do the Mepharshim say? The Mepharshim say it's from science of the time, or from Torah, or nothing. If they say it's nothing, I think presumably you would have to assume that it's from Torah. But again, it doesn't show me in all areas that they had this knowledge, but I don't see a reason to distinguish. I don't see why if this, if the seat of the place of this knowledge is Torah and the way they understand Torah is how they get this knowledge. I don't see why you should say they only had science in terms of the animals or the snakes and Shemai, but nowhere else. I don't see why that should be true at all. So logically, it should be true that in theory, Chazal could get science from Torah on any single and every single scenario. Again, Sometimes they don't have it, like in that case, Raman Gamliel. But in theory, they could get it using the same skills as they, as they use to understand Psukim properly. So again, Chazal themselves say very clearly that they did get knowledge from the Psukim. We could also suggest, like we said before, that Alpiya Kabbalah, they got it, like the Chasiyavit says, that Alpiya Kabbalah, they have it. That does, again, it doesn't mean that they had everything. It means though, however, it, does, it should mean that whatever they said with certainty, you should assume that it does come from the Psukim or from a Kabbalah. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai. He passed it on to Aaron and the Zikanim and Aaron's sons and the rest of the day. So I don't see why he wouldn't have passed this part of Torah, the knowledge of the world. I don't see he passed everything else, we assume. So I don't see why it shouldn't be included. Shlomo Melech had it. I don't think he, it's wise to say that he kept this all for himself. He probably handed it over to others. And then that was passed on and passed on. So it, it makes a lot of sense to assume that Chazal did get their science from Torah, as they themselves say, in different areas, either through the learning of the Psukim or through some sort of Mesorah. But that certainly seems to be how Chazal themselves say. Now, everything in that has to be taken in this context, because we're going to see some Rishonim who seem to say this, seem to that, whatever it is, but this is Chazal themselves saying this in two, in two places, two Midrashim, that they say explicitly that they got, that they got the science of the world from Torah. So that does seem to be true. So let's summarize before we get to the next part. So we've shown that the general Messiah amongst Chazal and many Rishonim, now I haven't quoted all Rishonim, I understand that, and there's still Rishonim who we need to explain in this context, but that's, I think, the key point, that any Rishon who says, sounds like you're saying something different, needs to be understood in this context. But I'm giving this one pers- one perspective right now from Chazal themselves and many other Rishonim that we quoted already, and there's more as well, that the Messiah is, in general, that the Torah certainly contains within it, all the wisdoms of the world, as well as the fact that certain individual chachamim certainly possess that wisdom. Now that, I think those two things are indisputable. I think that's very clear from Chazal, Rishon, everybody agrees. There's no, I don't think there's any debate about these points, that the Torah includes all the wisdom of the world, and there were certain individual chachamim who possessed this, Shlomo Melech and Moshe Benu, who are to, na- to name the ones who are specifically singled out. We've also shown a proof from Chazal that at certain times, they, Chazal were able to extract from these psukim these ideas. And we said it's also logical to assume, to believe, that at least some, if not all, of this chachma was passed down from Moshe Rabbeinu or Shlomo HaMelech. So considering all that, I think it makes a lot of sense to say that Chazal pretty much got their signs from Torah. Again, not all the time, like Raman Gamliel didn't have it, so some sometimes the Kabbalah didn't make it down or there wasn't an understanding of the psukim. But in general, they had most of their, if not all their science, most of their science from Torah. Because ultimately, Rabbi Yeshua did have that. And so when Chazar are going to quote it, they're going to quote it from Rabbi Yeshua. So I think it makes a lot of sense to assume that most, if not of their Chachma of science, came from Torah, either from learning the Psukim or from a Kabbalah. That's to me very, very mistavra, as they say. It makes a lot of sense. So having said that, now we have the issue. Because we said, if Chazal did get their signs from Torah and it's wrong, then we have a big issue. Because what are we going to say? Were Chazal misunderstanding the Psukim, misunderstanding the Kabbalah, or is the Torah wrong? So all those things are not really good options. Or were they just lying to us and they didn't really get their signs from Torah? So all those things are not really good options. And therefore, we have to deal with what happens when Chazal and the science seem to conflict. So that's what we're going to deal with right now. Do Chazal argue with scientists? That's the question. Not what to do if they argue, but first, do they argue with scientists? So I think it's fair to learn Torah on its own terms. In other words, let's understand what the Torah has to say about this science that Chazal is describing, or that they're learning, and 
see what happens. See if that's something that is in conflict with scientists. See, it's a, what we do sometimes, we have very little knowledge, let's say, of Torah, and we have more knowledge of science or what the scientists say. And then we ask from the scientists based on our very lack of knowledge, a very weak knowledge of Torah. And then it becomes a question. It's like what we did by the age of the universe, because we, people understood what, sci- what scientists said, that w- the world is 15 billion years old, and then are based on a very weak knowledge of Torah that the world's created in six days, so then we ask questions. But if we just learn Torah on its own terms, leave the science for a second, just learn the sugya. What does Torah have to say? So we saw the Torah has to say about the six days of the world, that a lot more happened in the six days of the world than regular six days, or that the world was created old, whatever, whatever, which way you want to go. But once we learn that, then the question is simply just dissolved. There was no question anymore. So let's talk about the same thing over here. Let's say, what kind of science are Chazal learning? Let's look in the Torah, Chazal, Rishonim, Achronim, and understand what the sugya has to say about what science they're learning and see if that's a problem with the questions that were br- br- that, that are being brought up by modern day science. So first let's talk about definitions. Sometimes people will have de- different definitions of things. And even though it sounds like they're arguing, they're really not. So if I tell you I have a definition of one word and I say this, I, let's say dangerous. I say this activity is dangerous. And you say, no, no, it's not dangerous. So we could be arguing about whether it's dangerous or not. Or we could be simply having a different assessment of what constitutes the danger. If I say this is dangerous because I think that if one in every thousand people get killed, that's my assessment of danger. And you say if one every thousand people get killed, that's not called dangerous. So we're not really arguing about if this is dangerous. We're not arguing about what we see. We both agree that one out of every thousand people get killed in this activity, let's say a war, whatever it is. But our question is the definition of dangerous. We're saying we're making different assessments about what constitutes a danger. And because of that, I'm saying it is dangerous and you're saying it's not dangerous. That's a very important point to know. Truth is in any area of life, but certainly in this type of this area. Let's take an idea and and use a very unrealistic muscle, an example to flush out this point. Let's talk about the concept of life. So imagine you would have what we would call a golem. Not whether this is a real golem or not golem, I'm not getting into those details, but I'll describe this golem. This golem is a physical human being, but he doesn't have an anashama. So he's basically an animal, but he looks exactly like a human being. Again, I'm not explaining what a golem is, just this is just for the example that we'll say this here's a human being over here that does not have the regular neshama of a human being, he has the nefesh of an animal, let's say. So he has a heart, he has a brain, he has lungs, kidneys, etc. And from the outside, and really from his inside also, he looks exactly like a regular human being. Now, we now take this golem character and we bring him to a scientist and we bring him also to a member of Chazal. And I ask the question, for whoever wants to answer, is this person alive or not? Is he, al- is he alive? And what's an afkamina? Can I kill him? It's, let's say, you're not allowed to kill a living person. Can I kill this person? Is this person considered alive or not? Well, the scientist will look at him and he'll see his brain functioning. He'll see his heart beating. His whole body is working fine. His lungs, his kidneys, the heart's pumping the blood. Everything is going great. So says the scientist, he's alive. The member of Chazal, on the other hand, he will come along and look at him and he will say he's not alive. Now, a layman who's watching this, so they're arguing. Right, so a layman who's watching this will say that the member of Chazal doesn't understand anything about science. This person is clearly alive. You see, the scientist says he's alive. I could see with my own eyes he's alive. So why is this, why is this Rav saying that he's not alive? He's arguing on, on clear science. So we have to, whatever, we understand this, we understand the, whatever, how are we going to deal with it? But for a layman, he's going to look at this and say they're having, they're having a big time machlokis. So why is the Rav saying that he's not alive? Let's get into the details because He's observing, however he does this, that this golem doesn't have a neshama. And therefore, even though his body is fully functioning, he's not considered alive. So they're not really arguing. Well, they're not arguing about what they're observing. The argument here is the definition of life. What does it mean to be alive? What constitutes life? The scientist defines life based on physical phenomena. His body and his body parts are all functioning. Whether it's the brain or the heart, it doesn't make a difference for now. But the point is, his definition of life is based on certain criteria, namely the body, the physical phenomena, physicality. As opposed to the Rav, let's say, or the member of Chazal, his definition of life is based on a completely different set of criteria, really spiritual criteria. For him, being alive means having a neshama. A neshama, the five parts of the neshama, 
but this golem doesn't have one. So therefore he's not alive. Now, no matter what the scientist will say to him, he's going to explain to him, I, I need to explain the science to you that the brain is functioning perfectly and the heart is pumping blood into the body and the lungs are working, he's breathing and the kidney's working, everything that constitutes a life this person has, it doesn't make a difference. You can explain from today until tomorrow to this member of Chazal, it won't make a difference because the argument is on the assessment what constitutes a life or based on which criteria we'll consider somebody alive. Modern science will say one thing, the Torah will say, Chazal and the Torah will say, something else, but there's no argument over here. That means because we didn't really understand when the member of Chazal was saying he's alive, we simply didn't understand what he was saying. So if we would have started from the perspective, okay, you tell me what does alive mean? Let's understand what Torah says alive is. Alive means a neshama. So I look at him and say, okay, he's not alive. Then I get to the scientist. Scientist says he is alive. What do you say alive means? So, well, heart beating and the brain functioning. Fine. So there's at all, no machlokas at all. There's, there is a machlokas about how to assess life, but that's not a machlokas in Mitzias. It's not a machlokas in that something you could say, well, I see this with my own eyes. It's nothing to do with what you see with your own eyes. Because if the criteria is not something based on what you see with your own eyes, then it's a completely different discussion. So let, let's say a scientist would say that a fetus who's in the, a mother's womb is alive at six months old, whatever it is. So we have no reason to deny what he's saying but we do need to dissect a little bit what he actually is saying. We're not denying it, but we're trying to understand it. I remember we spoke about already fact versus opinion. So even the case where we just gave earlier about the scientist saying he's alive, that's actually an opinion. It's not a fact. The fact is that the heart's working and the brain is working. There's blood going everywhere. He's breathing. That, those are all facts. The opinion is that he's alive. Now, it seems like over there it is a fact, but it's actually not true. It's an opinion. The opinion is based on the fact that I see this and this working, therefore my assessment of life makes it that he's alive. But in reality, it's really an opinion, not a fact. So the same thing would come to, let's say, a scientist that says a fetus is alive at five months old, six months old, whatever we said. So he's doing two things. Number one, he's observing the fetus and the scientific reality of the development of the fetus. And that is Fact, that's observable reality as we explained already. Number two, he's making a claim that based on what he sees, the baby is considered alive. So again, there's no reason to deny his observations. Obser observable fact we can accept. That's no problem. But there's also no reason to accept his assessment of what's considered alive. So here we're bringing to the, I want to bring to this point that just because the Torah says one thing and scientists say something else, there doesn't have to be any argument about the facts of nature. It doesn't, you, nobody would say after we explained this member of Chazal talking about the golem, nobody would explain to, nobody would say that he was wrong about the science. He's just making different assessment. So if I say, if Chazal say that a fetus is alive, let's say for whatever example, at 40 days old, nobody's going to say that contradicts the science. That would be silly. It's a different assessment. What's the assessment based on? Well, when the nefesh and the neshama comes into the body. So let's say it happens at 40 days. So great. Happens in 40 days. Is it arguing on scientists? No, we're all agreeing to the observable reality. Chazal are just mentioning that it goes based on a different, the, the idea of alive is tied to a different reality, a spiritual, a more spiritual reality than the observable reality. So again, someone has no idea what's going on. The layman looks at this and says there argues, but we understand that they don't have to be arguing it, arguing at all. Just as an aside, that's part of the reason why science can't claim when it comes to a fetus, science, science can't, doesn't say anything about when it's alive. Science is the observable fact. You see what's going on. That's for sure true. But science or scientists don't tell you when it's alive. It's, that's based on their assessment. If you say one has an aspect of DNA, has his own DNA, that's considered alive, a new person. Who said that's the, who said that's a criteria? Maybe it's a heart. Maybe it's a beating heart, a functioning heart, a brain. Who says what's considered alive? Where do you draw the line? That's scientists and science can't tell you. You need a certain assessment. That's just as an aside. But the assessment that the Torah uses is a spiritual assessment, completely different. It could be based on the Shama. So it's a completely different question. And doesn't have to be any contradiction. Let's just bring this to a, a couple of examples that are relatively famous. So Chazal say that a person can kill lice on Shabbos because they don't reproduce. Einam parim viravim, the Gemara on Shabbos says. Scientists say that lice do reproduce because they see the eggs. So we're going to leave aside the issue of whether we know which lice Chazal referring to or not. Let's assume that the lice we know is the same as Chazal and it's fine. That's fine. Let's, let's understand what's being said over here. So it, you just have to, one thing you have to notice is that the, it is important to point out that the eggs of lice are pretty, are relatively visible and it's not, it's very un, 
it's not really, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say that Chazal didn't know about these things, that this fact escaped Chazal. That's very unlikely to say. But okay, let's leave it again, leaving aside this point. The question simply becomes, when Chazal say that lice don't quote unquote reproduce, what do they mean by this? Are they referring to a, an observable process or not? Again, are they saying like life in that golem, that he's not alive? And even though you see he's alive with your own eyes, you don't see that he's alive. You see a certain set of observable facts, but the assessment of whether he's alive or not, alive or not, that's something else. So when Chazal say that lice don't reproduce, what does that mean? If they say that life, do, lice don't have a life force that makes you culpable or chayef for killing them on Shabbos, so what criteria are they basing themselves on? It could be that lice don't have a life force, just like our golem, in example, wasn't alive. No matter what scientists see, won't change that. When we talk about killing on Shabbos, according to Chazal, we're talking about, uh, according to the Torah, we're talking about the separation of the nefesh, the life force of an animal from the goof. So do life have this ne- lice have this nefesh or not? Again, you would not be culpable for killing that golem because he didn't separate the neshama from the goof because he has no neshama. Even though scientists will tell you, you are culpable for killing, murder. But it'd be different criteria. So when they say that lives don't reproduce, does it, again, is that mean because they're not alive? Or is that something to do with the way we understand about reproduction? That something about what they, how they reproduce is not called reproducing. It's not called in pray uve. According to what Chazal understand pray uve, you have to understand them on their own terms. Now, I'm not claiming I know how to understand them, but it needs to be understood on its own terms. It's not fair to say, well, the scientists see that it reproduces under their definition of reproduction, and therefore Chazal are wrong. Again, it's a silly thing. What do Chazal mean when they say, enam parim viravim? They don't have pru uravu. What does that mean? It means reproduce in the English sense, what scientists understand reproduce, or on their own terms. Just like life meant something different, maybe reproduction means something different. So again, all they have to be saying is this very simple thing, making a different assessment of what reproduction means or what a life force means. And lice don't have that. And therefore, there's no problem to kill them on Shabbos. And that would be a very simple way of understanding. We don't have to deny what the scientists say. There's just simply a different assessment of what's going on, different definitions of what's happening. This is the same type of thing when we talk about the question of when not even on a golem anymore, one actual person. When does death happen by a person? Is it brain death or heart death? So there's going to be no doctor who can tell you this because it has to be understood based on the Torah's own criteria. The Torah has a criteria of what life is. What is that criteria? So assuming, presumably that criteria is when did the neshama leave the body? So now ask a doctor when the neshama leaves the body. Does it leave it when the brain dies? Or when does it leave it when the heart is gone? What, what happened? What, how's he going to know this? And the answer is he's, it's impossible. There is no reason to assume that a doctor will know this. It's not even a reason to assume. The doctor will not know this based on his observations. The Torah is giving a criteria how to define life. It's saying, if the Torah says, if, if Chazal, the Gemara says it's breathing or it's this or that, however you understand what the Torah is saying, that's all fair because that's on its own terms. But the doctors cannot help you. If the Torah says, if the Torah would say breathing, is something that's observable, like breathing is a definition of life, then yes, on that the doctors can help because they have to tell you what is considered observable fact of breathing. If the Torah ties its its criteria to an observable fact, then that's where the doctors and scientists help us. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. So if the Torah has its own definition of life, its own rules and definitions, scientific observation will have no role in this. And the same thing, like we said, by lice. Now, we're going to understand this a little bit better on the next part. But just for now, this is a very easy, simple way of understanding the difference when there's a contradiction between Chazal and the scientists. And this really, if you just apply this to many, many other places, you will see it's very, very clear that this is what's happening as well. I'm not going to go through all the places where this happens, but if you will, if you will see any place where Chazal seemed to say something that goes against modern science or against even what we can understand with our own eyes, this is an easy way to do it. Now, again, it doesn't mean to say that there's other things as well, meaning there are other parts to this as well. There are other ways to to, to you to answer, excuse me, this contradiction. I'm just giving you one very simple. I'm not saying this is limited to this way, but this is one very simple way. It might not apply to all cases, but I think most cases it will apply to. Now, the next thing really branches off from what we just discussed is what kind of science did Chazal know? Even if it's different criteria, fine. But some, when the Torah says, when Chazal say they knew science, what are we talking? What kind of science that do they know? So to me, it's very obvious the, that Chazal did not engage in the same exercise, the same investigations that scientists do. And we, I quoted to you before the Chassid Yaivitz who says the exact same thing. They didn't go out looking for fossils and they didn't spend time in their lab doing these experiments. Like you mentioned, they understood the world from the Torah. This means 
that they didn't understand science using the same methods as scientists. And it also means that they didn't necessarily understand the physical world the same way. Why is that? It's because when you understand something through Torah, you're understanding it at a different level than understanding it through observation. Let's, I'll give you a very easy example to understand the, the concept of this. So when the Torah records conversations that different characters had, so does the Torah record word for word what was said? Avram is speaking to Ephraim, to Sarah, to whoever. Does the Torah record exactly word for word what was said? So to me, I think it's pretty obvious that it does not record. The Torah does not record exact word for word of what was said. How do I prove this? Well, the easiest way to prove this is that Chazal tell us that Paro did not speak Lashon HaKodesh. Yet, in the Torah, when it's recorded that, he, that Yosef is speaking to Paro, it, and Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to Paro, it is recorded that it's all recorded in Lashon HaKodesh. Now, when Esther speaks to Achash was that also in Lashon HaKodesh? Like the Megillah says that it was? So again, presumably, it's not. So now, does the Torah translate word for word what was said? I, I, I don't, I can't have a proof for that, but I really would doubt it. I would think that the Torah does not translate word for word what was said. So now, does that mean the Torah is being inaccurate? When it's conveying a conversation, a different language and different words, it's conveying what Paro was saying to Yosef is being inaccurate. So I think the opposite is true. It's actually the Torah was recording exactly what they were really coming to say. The Torah records, to me, I would understand this as the Torah records the essence of what they were saying, even though it might have been expressed differently. It's like, imagine if you had a friend who knew really well, or a wife that was saying one thing, but you really know the person so well that you really understand what he's trying, what he or she is trying to say, even though he didn't use those particular words. Just give a, uh, an example. Imagine you have a wife who says to you, um, honey, I'm making a certain dinner tonight. So, so the husband says, okay, what, what dinner are you making? So the wife would say, um, broccoli sprouts. So the husband would say, um, you know, I'm actually gonna maybe go out for dinner tonight. And the wife would then respond, what, you don't like my broccoli sprouts? You don't think I'm a good cook? The husband would say, I didn't really say that. I, no, I didn't say that. I just, I just want to go out for dinner. So obviously what's happening over here is that the wife understand what he's really saying. The essence of what he's saying is I really don't like your broccoli sprouts for sure. Why would he? So we understand exactly what's going on. Now it was expressed differently. It was expressed through the words of I'm going out for dinner tonight. So maybe if somebody would record the conversation, he would say, I'm going out for dinner tonight. But if you wanted to record really accurately the essence of what he was really saying, it's that either he doesn't like her cooking or he doesn't like broccoli. That's the essence. I think, and I don't have a raya proof for this, but I would think that the Torah does record the essence of what was being said. So if Lashon HaKodesh, because it speaks in Lashon HaKodesh, which is the language of essence, so it would express exactly what was being said, even though the words they use would be different. Now let's imagine someone was present at the conversation between Yosef and Paro, and he would hear them converse in Egyptian. And then, and you have a, a scribe over here, right on the side, and he's writing down exactly what Akash Baruch was telling him to write down, like Moshe Rabbeinu was there at the same time, writing down the words that Paro is saying to Yosef in the Torah. Now, this observer is looking at what Paro and Yosef are talking about. He hears, he understands their ancient Egypt, and he's also reading the Torah, and he says that there's there's a difference over here. That's not exactly what he said. He said differently. He says, right, that's not what Paro said, and that's not, and that's not what Yosef answered. What would we say to that? We would say, we know that both things are really true. Why? Because the Torah is really talking on one level about the essence of what they're really saying. And that happens to be that the, the way, what they're really saying is being expressed through something else. But we're really getting to the core of what they're saying. The, the person is really hearing the outer shell, as it were, of what they're really saying. And the Torah describing the inner essence of their words. They're both true at just simply different levels. But obviously the way the Torah records it is much truer. So if you really wanted to understand well what they were saying, you wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to learn ancient Egyptian. I would tell you to understand what the Torah is saying. Because when you're learning it there, you're learning the essence of what's being saying. The real truth of, of what it is at its most basic and deep level, as opposed to the outer shell of it. Somebody who understands ancient Egyptian might understand the words, but he wouldn't understand the context. He wouldn't understand psychology. He needs to understand psychology. He needs to understand the roots of the, each person's neshama to understand what they're really coming to say. And he would have a much worse knowledge of the conversation, as opposed to somebody who would simply look into the Torah and understand it. And to me, the same exact thing would be true about understanding the natural world through Torah. As another very simple analogy for this, it's the DNA. If you, a person were to understand it, look at the DNA, 
he would really understand the true expression of that. A physical item is an expression of the DNA. But if you really want to know the essence of the thing, want to understand at a much deeper level, you look at the DNA and you understand it much better than simply observing the physical expression of that idea. So to me, it's same thing, Lahavdi with the Torah. The Torah is the DNA. The Torah is that the essence of what's being said. Same thing in, our, in that conversation. The conversation between Yosef and Paro. That's the same relationship between the Torah over there, in terms of expressing the conversation versus what was said in ancient Egypt is the same idea with how the Torah, the Torah expresses or the understanding of science through Torah versus how it's expressed in the physical world. Again, by DNA, if the, if the physical person is a true expression of the DNA, but someone who understands the DNA of a person will understand things much better than someone who merely observes the physical body of the person. That knowledge is a different type of knowledge, qualitatively different type of knowledge. And when you learn Torah, it's, it's exactly like that and even better. And Chazal say that in many places, uh, Chazal says in many places, that the world was created through the letters of Lashon HaKodesh. Yistaka Braisa Bar Alma is one place, but there's many other places like that. And that means Lahavdi, the letters of the Torah are like its DNA. And if you understand them very well, then you can understand the thing, the thing very well. Just that one is only a physical expression of the other. But you're, the scientist will be getting his knowledge through the physical expression. The scientist will be that, like the person who, who is, who understands ancient Egyptian and reads and hears the conversation between Yosef and Paro. He's understanding a much less, we'll call it qualitative knowledge than the person who's reading from the Torah. And the same thing with science and the scientists versus Chazal, how they understand the Torah. To me, it's very obvious that when Chazal understood science, they understood it on this level means the level of the essence of the thing as opposed to through observance of the physical expression of it. Again, they didn't spend their time observing nature like scientists. They spent their time learning Torah. And whatever they understood about nature was from Torah, either through Kabbalah or through Psukim. So having said this, it's almost, it would be obvious that they will say, they will say and see things differently than how the scientists would see them. It would, it would almost be surprising if they agreed, because somebody who's observing a DNA will describe what he's seeing differently than somebody who's observing the physical expression of that DNA. And to a layman who doesn't understand what's going on, he would think these two people are saying completely different things. But that's absolutely not true. There's just true, both true at different levels and they're describing different levels. But if you're talking about the quality, who has better quality of knowledge is certainly the one who understands the DNA as opposed to the one who understand, who's looking at the body, let's say. So of course, considering we're talking about number one, different definitions and number two, different levels of reality, it's entirely unsurprising that there seems to be a conflict between them. Like we said, it'd almost be a surprise if there wasn't a conflict between what they say, but there doesn't really have to be any conflict at all. All this, what I said, I think, I believe is in, is in a Maharal, and I believe it's also in Iran. Let me just read a little bit from the Maharal for a moment. The Maharal is in Ber Hagoyla Ber Shishi, and he's talking about how people think that Chazal didn't know Chachmas, like, like science or philosophy or whatever. And part of the mistake they made is because they look at things, they see things that what Chazal say, and it doesn't seem to be true in the natural phenomena of things. So the Maral explains in different places. It, it looks very strange what, what Chazal are saying, that this is the reason, this is the phenomena in nature. It doesn't make sense that this is the natural cause. That's why these people say about Chazal that they're very far away from these, from this wisdom. It's not true at all. The Chachamim are not coming to explain the Siba Hativis, the natural cause. It's very, very small. That's fitting for scientists or doctors. They're talking about the Siba, a cause that obligates the Teva. In other words, the cause of a cause. They're not describing, they're not describing surface level observable cause, but they're talking about the reason for that cause. Everything why Teva works, because scientists can only go to a certain point. Scientists can say they can observe everything they can, but if I ask them, yes, but why is that the way it is? Or why is this like that? There's a certain level where they can't get to anymore. And that's really where Chazal coming to say, coming to speak. Somebody who's, who denies this, uh, denies Amuna Torah. Now, I just have to make one point about this, this line that I believe that when the Maral says something, if you're Makhish there, you're Makhish Amuna Torah, he really means it, which means to say that it's very, it's become very popular to say, well, the Maral is arguing on, on the Rambam or this, that I don't think the Maral thought he was arguing on the Rambam because 
he obviously understood the Rambam was not. He took the Rambam as, as the Rambam, one of the greatest people, one of the greatest Jews of all time. And the Rambam, whatever source, whatever reason we're going to talk about, but when the Maral says something, I don't think he simply means to say, I hold this one shita, but it's legitimate discussion. I think he holds that this is the MS and nobody could say, you cannot say otherwise. This is mamish what Chazal are coming to do. And like he says, if you're makhishis, you're makhish amuna veha Torah. Every, for every cause, there's another cause for that. On this siba tivis, meaning this uh, natural cause, there is a more godly cause. It's the reason for the reason, the cause of the cause, and that is what Chazal are talking about. Now, I'm going to read a little bit more from Rabbi, I want to explain a little bit. It all it's it's perfect understanding of nature. And he ends up ends off pretty much this part. Right, explain to you the idea about the Chachamim that they weren't dealing with all with the idea, the physical idea of things. The words of Chazal with wisdom and logic are not surface level, i.e. physical descriptions. So again, that <coughs> the rather Chazal, the words of Chazal are referring to the essence, the Mahus, and have no relation at all to the outer material matter. And here's from the Ramchal in Sefer Adir Bamarom. Things that are, he's referring to over here that it sounds like he's talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. That it sounds like they just don't they don't seem to fit at all with what I see. It's true the Galgalim and the stars, the Mazalos really, and the stars are Dvarim Gashmi, the physical things. Inside of them, there is some inner root things, some inner essence to them. So if you don't understand the way Chazal work, or the real Pnimius, the understanding of, of Torah really, you can always see the outside things. The main thing that Chazal talking about are on the inner, inside of it. This is the idea of, this is the knowing, this is the knowledge of the Torah. When you know Torah, you know these ideas. The idea of the outside, the outer shell of it is not shaykh at all to Chazal. You have to understand this well. Now there are some who, I think, misuse, misunderstand this Maral and the Ramchal. And they say that the Maral and Ramchal were saying that Chazal talking, are talking metaphorically or allegorically or on a complete spiritual level. So that is, that is completely wrong. Chazal are not talking about metaphorically. They're not taking the ideas metaphorically, allegorically, whatever that, that would mean in this context. It's not there to teach you a lesson. No, they're, they're talking about reality. And even the Maral is saying, talking about reality. As he says, it's just not a surface level reality. He says the Siba of the Siba. He doesn't say allegory. He doesn't say metaphor. He's just talking about, he, he's explaining that Chazal are referring to a different level of creation, which, which is not something accessible to the naked eye. Again, not metaphoric, but a different level of creation. The Pneumius Indian is of the Ramchal, the same type of idea. Like the Maral says again, it's not a surface level physical description. Rather, the words of our sages refer to the essence and have no relation to the outer material matter. So I believe it's the way we expl- explained it. It's not looking, when I, when I say to you that the Torah is talking about the essence of the conversation of, between Yosef and Paro, it's not a metaphor. It's really what they were saying, just a different level. So the same thing with Chazal. They're not dealing with, not, not something with metaphorical or something completely spiritual. They're talking simply about a different level of creation. And now I just want to read the Ran in his Drasha, in the first Drasha of the Ran. And he asked the question on the Rambam, Rambam sheet of Maisebrashis, the Rambam seems to say that Maisebrashis is, he says, Yediya Sateva, which is science for all intents and purposes. So it, the Rambam has a very hard time understanding why would science be Maisebrashis? I don't understand, says the Rambam, why would it something that you have to be Nistar, you have to hide from people, as the, the Mishnah and Chagiga explains, and the Rambam also explains that you shouldn't really teach a lot of people this. So if it's Teva, if it's science, what's the big, what's the problem? Why wouldn't you do it? 
There's lots of benefit from that. Okay, what you could see his question over there. This is the answer. Tshuva. Ki ein safa ki maise bereishis yichachmas ha-teva. Of course, maise bereishis yichachmas ha-teva. Ava lo me'oise tzad shishachmu bo ha-nashi mitzad mechkarm. But it's not that chachmas ha-teva is not science that you could get, that these people understand from their investigations. Ava mitzad ze, mitzad ma shiyadiyah ne'lemes bo mitzad ha-mechkar. It's only a knowledge of the science of the world based on something that you can't have from investigation. In other words, investigation, scientific investigation will not give you this knowledge. You can only know this with Shefa Eloki, divine inspiration, meaning some sort of Ruach HaKodesh. Vuhu says the Ran, everything in existence, there are two forces on it. There's a force that goes based on this physical force, upal nimshach mitzad surasam, and something based on this tsura, asher hu atzmutsam, which is his essence, a form, we'll call it. A, a, not a spiritual form, but just a not physical. It's not something spiritual. It's just something that a different level of physical creation. mitzad So you have two different things. That, the one that you know, mitzad chomram, the physical, cause and effect of this, of the thing. That you can know, mitzad chakir, mitzad asagas mikrem. That you can know from scientific investigation. You can't know that possibly from scientific investigation. Even if you know this, you can't know other parts of it. Bekitzer, if you want to keep, go see in the run, you could see the run over there. He explains Barichos, this idea. But basically he's saying that there's a different level of creation that, again, he's not saying it's metaphorical, it's just simply on a different level of creation. If you want to understand this a little bit, DNA is a good analogy. Also the fact that sometimes we look at, let's say, a table and it looks like a solid force, but really if you could look under a microscope, you'd see a totally different thing. So you, there are clearly different levels even within our physical world. And if you'd have the super microscope that Chazal would have, you'd be able to understand the thing even better than any physical microscope that a scientist would have. So that is, I, I believe what, that's what the Ran and the Maral are saying. I think this is the general easy understanding of what comes out when Chazal and the scientists argue. They're just simply talking about different things. Again, it's not always true in all circumstances because sometimes Chazal don't speak from science and there are different reasons for that, which maybe we'll speak about. But in the general sense, this is what Chazal science, they're understanding. This is the type of thing, if you just learn the Torah properly on its own terms, this is what it says. This wasn't, the Ran is not coming to address a question of Chazal and science from 2022. He's not coming to say, well, there's a question, this is how I give an answer. It's not apologetics, as they say. This is simply what the Torah has been saying for thousands of years. What the Ran said over a thousand years ago, what the Maral said 500 years ago, what Chazal, to me, would be saying, because I don't, I don't think that when Chazal say that they understand Torah through, understand science through Torah, they mean it's the same thing as the scientists. To me, it's obvious it's not true. That's the analogy we gave about Yosef and Paro. They clearly understand a different level. So if we learn Torah on its own terms, sometimes the questions just seem to fall away. Exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website, msofterra.com. And remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.